So we've got a lot to talk about today. Uh, the subject is going to be seeds, something of which I know nothing of. So I'm very excited. And I'm Chef Jonathan Fraser, and we're talking with Good Earth Farm and Seeds. Boom! <laughs> My name is William Stringer, and this is the Edible Valley Podcast. Do you ever wonder where your food comes from? That's what got us started on this adventure. In each episode, we ask experts to weigh in on the food topics that matter to you, from growers, to producers, to chefs. And I challenge John, Darren, and you to learn more about your food and the stories behind it. From our hub on Vancouver Island in the beautiful Comox Valley, join us as we explore our edible valley. Hello to you, this is William Stringer. I'm the producer, I'm also a realtor and a radio host for 98.9 Jet FM. And I'm Chef Jonathan Fraser and owner of Locals Restaurant here in the Comox Valley. So excited today, we're going to be learning about something that I know nothing about, which is kind of what happens every week, uh, <laughs> gradually getting there. But we've got Simon from Good Earth Farms. <laughs> Hi, welcome. <laughs> <laughs> How's it going, mate? Good. How are you? Really good. Thank you very much. Good. Yeah, we just uh, we're just here. We're gonna throw you right on the spot. Okay, and... <laughs> nice. yeah, perfect. <laughs> you got your tea. You're ready. Yeah. <laughs> I'm ready. <laughs> oh, excellent stuff. Well, the, yeah. What we were talking about when when I first met Simon was actually during the pandemic. That was my first experience of seeds. I worked hmm. in a grocery store called Edible Island, and. I remember everyone running in desperately looking for seeds and it was that time during the pandemic when everyone was planting borders and it was uh, flower borders and planting stuff. It was pretty glorious in that sense that you just knew everyone was being connected to their food more and we were running out of seeds. What was that time like for you? Uh, it was a bit of a crazy time for us. Yeah. Like, um, it's hard when you run a, a small business and then all of a sudden you just have to this overnight, almost just scale it, try to scale it up and try to find new ways to connect with your customers and reinvent your whole business model and, um, just so much uncertainty. Um, but yeah, like really good for business. But like I was saying, it's a bit like you never really want your business to grow because of an event like that. Or like you you would hope that you would have kind of, there would just be more awareness and organic growth to Mm. it rather than having like something thrust upon you like that. Um, But that is basically kind of um, really when seeds have become popular. Like even back to like the second world war, there was a huge, um, a much bigger seed industry like it was actually a, a, a noticeable portion of the agricultural output of bc was uh was seeds and so that was the last time actually that like seeds has been a significant part of the agriculture output of the province and then during the pandemic it things kind of scaled up again not, not nearly to the scale of the of the second world war but like yeah. yeah it's 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 hard when those kind of like world events thrust you onto the yeah. spotlight but it's nice but then and then I would say since then things have kind of calmed down a bit like during the middle of that we were all like I wonder if this is gonna like yeah. keep going and like because you don't it's it's glorious right you don't have to do any marketing like it, <laughs> yeah. people are just beating down your door right and, yeah um so it's nice in that sense but it's also like a bit disconcerting in terms of like um, in terms of like the overall seed security, like that kind of tested the system. And I think we really found out that we're pretty lacking. Right. Um, so yeah, that's a bit scary as a producer and it's, so it's great for business, but it's scary as well. Yeah. yeah. 
Well, let's get in and let's. Uh, can you just describe the farm so that people understand what we're yeah. what we're talking about here? Yeah. So <laughs> we we um we started um yeah. So I started saving seeds probably like twenty five years ago, uh, and then I met my partner, um, and uh, we were just kind of like. Uh, broke hippies moving around and <laughs> doing our thing and um yeah like the first thing I ever took Heather was a uh, basket of flowers and like the first thing we ever talked about was tomato seeds and so we we're pretty much seed geeks right from the start <laughs> <laughs> um and yeah we moved around quite a bit and then we started caretaking a farm in Black Creek um and that's when we started so during that whole journey we've always saved seeds but it's been a smaller part of our business um, and then, yeah, we started doing the Comox Valley Farmer's Market. And that was really revolutionary in terms of trying to grow our business because it was yeah. such a supportive atmosphere. Yeah. And, like, mm-hmm. there's mentorship and yeah. there's, um, you can, we started very small. And so we started out doing a wide range of things, but lots of veg um, and a little bit of fruit. And then got gradually, um, we got our own farm in 2004. Wow. Um, yeah. And again, seeds were always a part of what we did, but we did a lot of strawberries, a lot of garlic, um, a lot of mixed veg. Um, and then probably about three years ago, we just, we, we forgot about everything else and now we just do seeds. So we grew okay. about 65 varieties of uh, mostly heirloom, open pollinated, uh, certified organic seeds now. Um, yeah. And... Yeah, it's been a really good journey. It's nice to kind of just like focus in on one thing and like, yeah, like it's not just one thing. Actually, like I say, it's 65 things. So it's like (laughs) that's kind of enough to wrap your head around and like um, just getting more dialed into like trying to scale up some varieties and produce them in bigger quantities and, you know, trying to keep your quality up and just trying to learn more. And that's really the most enjoyable thing about it is like we're still we're 25 years in and we're still learning a lot every day. Right. So it's, it's, that's kind of a neat part of it. When you went to not doing fruit and veg and just doing seeds, what did you, what changed for you when you had that focus? Um, yeah, it was, um, yeah, for us, it was like, for me, it's just like, I'm not that old yet, but I'm getting older. And like, <laughs> I've seen a lot of farmers just go, just go full steam till the end. And it, it it's just hard. And so we, we kind of wanted to just refocus, I think. And like, mm. we, we realized we were kind of sitting, like, we kind of sat down and we're like, what are we really passionate about in mm. this whole picture here? Mm. And seeds was, has always been the constant of the, probably the most passionate thing we've been. So yeah, so that that's really changed it. It's just kind of like, I would say like I thought the work would slightly decrease and like, <laughs> <laughs> and the passion would increase and the passion has increased, but the work has still stayed the same. It's just different than your. It never stops. It's just a different kind of hustle, you know. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that's mainly what's changed for us, and yeah, but it has been really nice to just like just focus in on the seeds and yeah. and really kind of bring them to the to the front of what we do and. I think that was yeah. a good decision. I think yeah. focusing on your absolute passion, doing something really, really well and being known for that one thing, that's a good decision. It is, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because at the end of the day, like all farming is is pretty much like, you call it farm businesses, but they're really they're like, I call it more like farm passion projects or like, <laughs> yeah. it's more like a social enterprise or like, uh, you have to be driven by passion to do, to do, to farm at all in any sense, I believe. And in anything in food, whether it's a restaurant or anything in the food spaces, I think, I think it's coming around now a lot more, which is really heartening, but like 
it's just a ton of work and you're you're kind of underappreciated and we're we're used to a system where it's like in the economics of it you're you're fundamentally undervalued whether you're whether whatever space you're in in food i feel like from right from farming to the end of of trying to sell it or trying to trying to run a restaurant or trying to do any of that right i think is i think we fundamentally underappreciate where food comes from and the effort that it takes to like well yeah to get it to people right like even over the last few years when it's become very trendy for restaurants to say this is the name of the food where this this is this farm had made this kale for us and it's in this dish and that's great but i don't recall anyone saying this is where the seed came from yeah <laughs> so you've really yeah. got that yeah 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 and that is the interesting piece and like um I've done a few different presentations and taken a, a fair bit of training over this winter and like yeah it's it is really interesting story seed because it is like even so even yeah within like even within the farming community or the gardening community like there is not really an aware like there's a grow again a growing awareness but like there's fundamentally not really an awareness of where where is your seed coming from right yeah. and like even I'm not going to start calling out um, seed companies, but like your average seed company is mostly sourcing your bigger, your medium to bigger seed company is kind of sourcing seed on basically mostly North American, but often even a worldwide market. Um, yeah. And it's all about where that seed can be produced easily uh, for kind of the cost of it, but also sometimes for the logistics of it, for the climate of it. Um, but it leaves you very vulnerable. So like we were talking about with the pandemic, like most, even most local farms around here, they're, they're sourcing their seed, you know, mostly from um, big American or not big, but kind of medium scale, I would say kind of uh, American seed companies. And so you're very reliant on that stream, right? And yeah. we do not have in BC uh, and in Canada, we're pretty lacking in terms of like, um, kind of seed security or seed sovereignty, we call it as well. She's like, a, yeah. um, so like this year, for example, the border got shut off to um, to cover crop seed, so you can't get cover crop seed from the states this year. Um, mm -hmm. So, so they said just, there's an import, an export <clears throat> ban. Yeah, it's it's yeah. um it's it's a um a CFIA. They they there was a disease issue, and they right. didn't want to like infect uh, some of the prairie. They were worried about some of the prairies. Um, so there was disease issues in some of it. So they just shut down all cover crop seed from the States. Okay. So similar to the pandemic, like if that happens with vegetable seeds, we'd be really, really scrambling. Um, and in BC, we have about, there's about 30 of us that are kind of small scale companies where we're like, we're producing the seed and then we sell it or, or it's like a cooperative of, of farms that are kind of pooling together and selling seed. Um, so we're pretty good in terms of like, at least we have some supply uh, for the, kind of the gardener level, yeah, but right. for the farm level, we're like shockingly dependent on, on this worldwide market. That's very vulnerable. I have um, to admit, like I've been talking with a few of my farmers and sitting down and, <clears throat> and we do a lot of planning for saying like, this is what I want. And it's a little bit of him of doing or some of my the farmers I work with them reaching out to these other places to get the, the amount of seed that they require yeah. is very difficult. And it it's is, not yeah. just one person you're, or one, one stop to get it. You're just, he's going like six or seven different places. Yeah. Exactly. And then the quality of seeds from different places is all over the board too. It's really yeah. <laughs> so totally actually when you approached me about, Hey, we should do a podcast. I was like, 
oh, that's awesome because I was just starting to get into this and hear this. Oh, nice. Yeah. And I was like, this is crazy. Like, how do we, how do we grow seeds, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, and how do you not like? It's obvious to me being in the space, right? But it's so when you're in the space, it's like it. Well, it's it seems painfully obvious to me but it's like how do you explain that to other people and like like I say even like from gardeners right to to farmers I think there's a growing awareness but it's like I think unfortunately like the farmers have like you say had have have had these issues trying to source now so there's starting to think about it more right and Mm -hmm. it's um and it is to be honest to be fair too though it is like there is sometimes like um there is sometimes quality, even at a smaller scale, there is quality issues or there is, it's the amounts that they need. Right. And, right. um, so there is, it's not like it, I, I'm not trying to like call out the farmers, or like <laughs> saying, but it's, uh, I think it's just a, 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 a neat conversation to have now. And that trying to spread that awareness, right. That like, yeah, you, sh- you got to think like that really, like we always say it's a bit like, obviously we're, we're seed growers, but it's like, there's no seed there's no food security or seed, food sovereignty without seed sovereignty right like right. that's the start of the whole thing right so if you don't control the seeds you don't and yeah so that's really interesting <laughs> i find it great when restaurants are, are looking at farmers and saying what have you got because it goes back to the very beginning of going to the market with what you've got and then people saying right what can we make from these things and that is so much more of a sustainable way to do it and then a decent chef will make stuff from what you've got and adapt recipes they've got from what you've got that's what places like uh, locals and the atlas tend to do yeah, yeah um but no one ever thinks to that stage before it with yeah. the seeds and well that's that's where that is coming from yeah yeah yeah, and it is like you say, it's one. It's a kind of a step back, but there's like uh, the the interesting thing too is like I mean, when you talk of like commercial, like it's so hard because there's so many vastly different scales. But like when you bring it down to the really local level, that's one of the coolest things about being smaller and like working so closely and having like great relationships, like locals and has always cultivated those relationships so well. But the this the like if you take take tomatoes like there's thousands of kinds of tomatoes out there right or Mm. there's like i don't know how much people appreciate that that like you kind of get locked into these varieties that are commercially grown and they do really well in high production um you know this kind of modern food system we have but there's just like an such an array of like neat and cool things out there that never really get to you know aren't kind of commercially viable but on a smaller scale are viable and just taste way better and like yeah, or dif- yeah, yeah. just different way different attributes because so much of the commercial stuff gets selected on like okay it's all got to ripen at the same time we got to be able to ship it a few thousand miles and like <laughs> there's those kind of attributes that they're selecting for rather than like oh yeah. what does this taste like and like what is there what is this like yeah how is this different than yeah that's there's a there's a value in how far can and how long can we ship this compared to how good this tastes exactly yeah yeah. and that's what actually makes my job easier when i can go to a local farmer and be like what's your best tomato yeah and then put that on a on a hamburger and people are like whoa yeah yeah Yeah. actually adds something to it yeah yeah Yeah. instead of you know this piece of cardboard that's perfectly shaped and been sitting on a truck for six months so yeah Yeah. Um, do you call them heritage tomatoes and heritage 
Um, so I'm not huge on like, um, so there's in the seas, there's like a whole bunch of like really geeky definitions and I can't really give you a, so heirloom is kind of basically something that's been around for a few generations, like heirloom heritage, they've been around for a few generations. Um, and so that's kind of where that comes in. Um, so some varieties, um, are kind of newer and they've, they've been bred or they've had some work done on them or some breeding and those are kind of newer. So those wouldn't really be heritage. So some of the, a lot of the stuff we do, not everything, but most things are heritage. So they've been around for a few generations, kind nice. of passed down. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, so that's kind of the definition of that. And then the other big one in like, in, and what we do is the difference between open pollinated. There's basically kind of like to, to make it really simplified. There's like, now there's kind of three di- different seeds. There's open pollinated, which is what we do. And in a nutshell, but that means basically like if you grow it and you kind of know what you're doing and you, you isolate it correctly and so on, um, then you, you can plant that seed. You could take that seed, you could buy that seed from me and take it home and you could save that seed. And it's going, it's going to be roughly the same thing. Okay. Um, yeah. so a hybrid seed is basically, you've taken two completely different parents and you've put them together and you basically kind of, uh, for lack of a better term, you create a teenager and they're like, <laughs> they're really awesome, right? They do, they perform well. They like, they have certain, they're, de- they're typically bred for like, the two parents have traits that are like, like they ship well, or they, or it could be any, any variation of, of traits that they're after. But generally those hybrids, they have what, in a lot of cases they have what's called like hybrid vigor. So they're like, they tend to, um, they tend to grow well, like, and they, they tend to have high yields. They tend to be very consistent in terms of like, um, say broccoli is a good example. Like if you take an old open pollinated broccoli, you're going to get, um, you're going to get broccoli, but it's, it might ripen over a three week. You might get ahead one week and then it might be two weeks until the rest of them. Um, whereas a hybrid will, it will be a nice uniform crop within a week. They're all going to mature. Um, they're going to be nice and big. Um, and so there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of benefits to hybrids. The, the downside to hybrids, especially from a seed saving point, is that if you plant that, if you were to take that home, if you right. buy that seed, you right. take it home, you plant that, that's, you're not going to be able to save the seed from it. It's going to revert back to, um, it's going to revert back to one of its, its, its genetic, it's going to revert back in its genetics. And you might, it might freakishly work out, but it might, typically it doesn't work out, right? And you get some, you get, you get some weird you get some something weird so um so hybrid is a very closed like um so and most even organic farms like most um i would say i don't i don't know the breakdown of it but a a significant part of um most farms now are (laughs) wow that's getting and there's nothing particularly wrong with it but like i say you're you're susceptible you're you're going back every year to buy that to buy that hybrid yeah, it's because of certain those, and especially certain things like say broccoli. There's certain varieties. There's certain varieties like le- there's lots of let open pollinated oh. lettuce. There's lots of things that will the open pollinated will fare as well or better. But there's lots of things that the hybrids and there it's just that consistency. Do you think right? that's because why they're doing when it? you're in these big like uh, even the small scale organic or natural farms we have around here? Like the amount of stuff they produce is just mind boggling, and they're they're in very tight rotations, you know, and they're just like salad greens or like the amount of 
um, vegetables and and so on they can churn out is just like so impressive yeah. but you're rely you really need th that consistency right and so that's where the hybrids really come in um, and then further than that you have the GMOs which is basically you're taking genes from something completely it could be from something completely different it could be another variety it could be another species it could be something it could be fish genes in a tomato right and so that's really um, yeah. that's really a whole nother level of like uh, and again, you're reliant on buying that every year. And the danger with GMOs is once you release, once you release them out there, once they kind of leave the lab, then wow. they can cross with your open pollinated seed. And so, from a seed saving point, it's 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 just a nightmare because my my varieties that I've been saving for however long and have been around for probably thousands of years, some of them before that, um, could be contaminated and then you lose them, right? Um, and so that's yeah. really, and the argument for GMOs is we have to feed this growing population and all of these things, but really there's a lot of inherent danger to it. And um, fundamentally, it's back to like you're, you're, um, you're at the mercy of who's, whoever is selling you that seed. Oh. And farmers have even been sued for collecting their own seed, but that GMO drifted in and contaminated their seed and they got sued because they were hard, you're not allowed to save yeah. the seed of yeah. that GMO. Yeah. So yeah, there's a lot of shady. <laughs> so you have this very like, it's like anything in food, you have this like, we're just tiny little seed company and we have this nice little farm in Black Creek and we do our thing. And you have all the way up to like, you know, the, the I guess they're Bayer now, um, it used to be Monsanto or you have global corporations who are after <laughs> control and monopoly and all kinds of scary things right so that's kind of the whole gamut like that's the whole spectrum of seed in a nutshell but <laughs> not to freak everything out everybody out but <laughs> yeah no it's it does unfortunately yeah yeah oh thank you yeah yeah wow <laughs> when, I, when I first met yeah. you a few minutes ago, when, when I first met you, I was just like, seeds, Ooh. that's lovely. And then it's like, um, it goes the same way as yeah, everything. So we, we get half. Started to like, uh, like, because but you, we are, you are fighting a very, very good fight like, by the sound of it. So, yeah. yeah well, here's a good question. Let's go back like, to your actual, uh, the farm and stuff. Like, so how many seeds are you producing a year? Do you So not huge, but like enough that like... And it, it, it's like enough for us and enough for what we want to do. And we have to kind of manage our rotation and our, and our crossing, um, cross pollinating and things like that. But yeah, so, so and some things are, are a bit smaller amount. So we've kind of identified right. some things that we want to sell a bit more of. And so we've kind of ramped up production of that. But yeah, and we do um, about 65 varieties, like I said. And then um, of those, there's probably like, 12 15 that are kind of more at a bigger you know scale but like uh, again like that back to that comparison like you know 80 kilos in the in the world market is a drop but like for us it's a lot it's more than we've ever done so it's like of seed yeah 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 so pea seeds are a bit bigger luckily so that you got some weight there to, to help you along but like let it 
<laughs> yeah. Um, mostly during cleaning, actually. Cleaning is all about like screens seats. and blowing, basically. And so yeah, you can lose a lot of seed if you're not careful cleaning, I guess. Right. Um, but <laughs> do you ever have a? Do yeah. they ever blow away? Like you ever? Yeah. Oh, no, we forgot to weigh um, them down. But yeah, luckily, yeah, luckily we don't lose too much. But it's like any type of farming, you kind of sweat in the fall when it's like yeah. you're kind of hoping for some nice weather gaps to kind of like so you don't get any mold or like. Uh, and then your neighbors must just yeah, be you like, where the hell did to, these like, sugar stuff come from? Basically, have to grow your vegetables and everything, and then you got to take it, you got to let it go to seed. Um, and so that's a longer process. So it's a bit. Uh, so it's yeah, sometimes yeah. a bit. Um, it's a bit nip and tuck in the fall for sure. Like trying to get stuff in before the rain, especially on the coast. It's um, there's certain seed that does well here, but it's not. It's not always the best environment to grow seed because of that um, needing yeah. that nice fall. Um, but right. Uh, mostly outside. Yeah, we do have some greenhouse. Um, there's uh, tomatoes we do in the greenhouse just for blight and stuff. Uh, and then there is some seed that's like a two-year process. So like your chard and kale, we basically plant in August and let it over winter. Is and then it, yeah, sorry. All I was going to say is most of your seed so we do done that outside in the greenhouse. Or greenhouses and then or? like say beets is a two-year process. Mostly. You grow a beet basically, you store it for the winter, and then you plant it out. And usually we plant it out into the greenhouse. Um, yeah, so some seed, and yeah, definitely some of the seed, it's like, it's nice to have it in the greenhouse for the shelter, but then it gets pretty humid in there too sometimes, so it's like, <laughs> it's always hard to find the perfect, uh, the perfect balance of, of stuff, but yeah. And the weather, you mentioned the weather, what is the perfect weather? Nice. Ooh. <laughs> um, well, it doesn't often happen, let's just put it that way, like all farmers, and we love to complain <laughs> yeah. about the weather. Um, but yeah, for us, it, it would be like, you know, having a nice spring where you can get stuff in at a decent and time the weather, and having the kind weather. of, we don't what need anything crazy in the summer, but kind of having seeds. a fairly decent summer and then yeah, <laughs> just having those, like we have actually had gotten like, last summer, um, was really late getting in, uh, to a lot of fields and really late start. But then we had that really nice fall that really helped us. And so that's really ideal because a lot of seed is ripening in, in kind of September, um, usually by the end of September, we're out. We're, we've got most things harvested, but last year it was more like early October. Um, yeah, yeah. It did, yeah, because basically you have everything out there kind of in this. Yeah. Um, you, and you basically have to, there's well, no. Well, yeah, I mean, last, so last um, At a certain point, you can start pulling stuff in, but you really have to be patient October, because we that's the, the number one thing is you have this, 80s, so you walk out there really, and you can really see nice. seed and it basically looks ripe, weather, but you really that, have to let it ripen kind then? of on the, on the yeah. plant or on the vine. Um, it really needs that last process to like, if you pull it too early, it's just not going to be viable seed. It looks like seed and it's formed and it, it can look fine, but if you're if yeah. you're impatient and you pull it in too soon, then it's just not going to be viable because it's not ready yet. So. Yeah.
Well, I mean, I've learned something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank you yeah. so much. That yeah, was, yeah. One of the like one of the things that I always that I've learned a lot about now lately is just like one of the things I always love to mention is like the fact that like all of basically all of these crops that we grow ourselves or like most of the crops that we rely on for farming nowadays basically have indigenous roots. So yeah. like we tend to think of like um, like we were talking about heirlooms earlier, and we talk about seeds that's been handed down in families and through generations and that that kind of comes we have this kind of very white colonial picture of farming um and no disrespect to that but then like uh basically indigenous cultures all over the world basically mm. were the original farmers and yeah when you think of farming as being some like uh manipulating something to create abundance um, if you kind of think of that definition, but even in terms of like, say corn was grown, like first cultivated, like 8,500 years ago in Mexico. Um, so you think of that. And so like for 8,500 years, somebody each year, somebody saved that seed. Yeah. Somebody did some breeding work. Somebody created new varieties. Like there's probably thousands of varieties of corn now. Um, so yeah, I think it's really important to acknowledge the the uh, indigenous contribution to all these seeds we grow, and that's something we're working a lot on now is how to like how to represent that, how to respect that, how to pay mm-hmm. yeah, um, how to pay homage to that, and it's something that even myself like it, it only in the last you know five six years has that really come to my awareness, and um, I was mentioning like I did some training this winter even on. And heard some really amazing speakers from all over the world talking about that things like that and yeah you tend to think we tend to have this uh especially in farming we tend to think when you think of farmers you think of like some white dude on a tractor with a straw hat and jeans and a plaid (laughs) shirt right and like and that's like and it not to disrespect that heritage at all because there's a lot of um good that's come out of the settler heritage but like um and again back to that story of like it's like the story of of seeds it's like it's it, like there has been cases where like seed was outright stolen from indigenous cultures and yeah, of course. indian agents went in and like outright stole seed so that they would be dependent on mm. buying seed and like it is a pretty sad and mixed story but also a story of like it's pretty neat to like um in seeds like how how long this like the to realize the like the extension of that history it's not just like like we think we're pretty cool because we've done this 25 years right but it's like 8,500 years of like of seed saving has gone into what we we do right so to think of it that way is pretty special and to like it really gives you a sense of like awe and wonder and like respect for like all that's kind of gone before you and like we're just kind of like we've benefited from so so much to to be where we are and like it's hard what we do but it's also like it's also pretty cool and pretty like we have it way easier than they did you know thousands of years ago so it's like we take a lot for granted too now right I, i think it is very important what you're saying because quite literally it was people for centuries and centuries passing on that knowledge doing the legwork and allowing us to be where we are now. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I have great respect for that. And we also have gratitude for the, the lovely folks at Comox First Nations. Mm-hmm. And that is their unceded territory we're on right now. And yeah. we're really grateful for that. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. 
So perfect. All right. Well, thank you so much. Okay, no problem. It was so enjoyable. Thank you for having me. I think before you go, we need to do a little plug so people know where to get your seeds. Exactly. Oh, okay. Oh, wait. I wasn't prepared for this. You've got the swag. You've got the farm's top. Yeah, so you can, uh, so uh, like during the pandemic, we created an online store so you can shop there and we we have both like uh, gardener amounts and we have bulk amounts too online. Um, we also are in, I'm going to forget some retailers, so I apologize if I forget you, but we're in uh, the new garden works. Uh, we're in the local refillery. Uh, we're in um, um, the the bloomery out in in um, in Black Creek. We're in um, the French Creek um, uh, Home Hardware. We're in Wildwood in Victoria. Uh, we have a stand sometimes at Clever Crow uh, Farm Store. Oh yeah, um, I love Clever Crow. Yeah, yeah. they're awesome. Good yeah. friends. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> and then um, and then yeah, that's mostly how to get our seed. Uh, and then we do also do CD Saturday events up and down the island. And then we do we do a short window of the Comox Valley Farmers Market. Right. Yeah, and then we also sell our seeds through the BC Eco Seed Co-op. Um, who is a co-op of about 20 producers uh, from BC who, who pooled together. Uh, and they mostly sell kind of on, uh, mostly available online through an online store as well. Okay. Yeah. Excellent. And websites? Uh, www.goodearthfarms.ca. Oh, you got the big one. <laughs> <laughs> Good bad. And you're on Facebook? Uh, yes, we have a Facebook and Instagram, and my wife's going to kill me, but I don't know them. <laughs> That's yeah, fine. Good Earth, I'm good sure. Earth Farm Seeds. Yeah. Yeah. Probably, yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Simon from Good Earth Farms, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you both. Yeah, yeah we've me. learned so much today. I really okay, appreciate it. Check yeah. in with you again sure. soon. Cheers. Yeah, thanks so much. Thank you. <laughs> and that wraps up another episode of the Edible Valley Podcast. Thanks for tuning in, and a special thanks goes to the local businesses that help support our podcast. They make it possible for us to showcase your your local food community. We'd love you to follow us on your preferred social media at Edible Valley, where you can check out our blog, find recipes and tips, behind the scenes, and of course, keep a lookout for where we are going to turn up next in your Edible Valley. Hour <laughs> <laughs> nothing. Oh no, really? <laughs> <laughs> One of our first recordings, we did Tree Island Yogurt at um, uh, the radio station. At the, oh, wow. And it was great because we got into about 15 minutes of a conversation and the whole system shut down. <laughs> and then we rambled on for another 15 minutes. <laughs> this is <laughs> and then our Valley production. Yeah, beep, 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 beep. Okay, ready again?